this morning because I like being close to you all. I feel very distant over there, so I, I decided to be down front here with you this morning as we open up God's Word together. I want to share with you a story uh, from history, from a missionary. It goes like this. At a Baptist leaders meeting in the late 1700s, a newly ordained minister stood to argue for the value of overseas missions. He was abruptly uh, interrupted by an older minister who said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God is pleased to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting you or me. That such an attitude is inconceivable is largely due to the efforts of that young man named William Carey. Carey was impressed with the early days of the missionary movement of the Moravians and increasingly dismayed at his fellow Christians and their lack of interest in missions. In response, he penned an inquiry that said, the obligation of Christians to use means for the conversion of heathens. He argued that Jesus' great commission applied to all Christians of all times, and he rebuked his fellow believers of his day for ignoring it. Multitudes, he said, sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners, who in this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. Carey didn't stop there. In 1792, he organized a missionary society, and at its inaugural address, he preached a sermon called, Expect Great Things from God, Attempt Great Things for God. Within a year, Carey and his friend Thomas set out for India. Carey had grossly underestimated what it would cost to live in India. And Carey's early years there were miserable. When Thomas deserted the enterprise, Carey was forced to move his family repeatedly as he sought employment that could sustain them. Illness racked the family, and loneliness and regret set in. I am in a strange land, he wrote, no Christian friends in a large family, in a large family and nothing to supply their wants. But he also said, in this in hope, well, I have God, and his word is sure. He learned Bengali, and that with the help of some fellow translators, in a few weeks began translated the Bible into Bengali and preaching in small gatherings. In December 1800, after seven years of missionary labor, Carey baptized his first convert. And two months later, he published his first Bengali New Testament. With this and other additions, Carey and his colleagues laid the foundation for the study of modern languages in India that up until that day and age had been an unsettled dialect. There's a book in the Bible known as Third John, only one chapter long, and it is a book that heavily focuses on missions. So if you would, turn there with me to the book of Third John. One commentator says this, John writes to an individual named Gaius in a thriving ministry that extended hospitality to traveling missionaries who are facing some opposition. This short book in the Bible, the letter of Third John, is very helpful in assisting us to reflect on. At just over 200 words, this little book of the Bible is known as the shortest book in the New Testament, and some even say maybe the last book written in the New Testament. 
And we want to see what John has to write about these things. Because we want to reflect on this. We want to see that as we look at John's letter, specifically about serving others in the advancement of the gospel, and how we confront those who bring opposition. So beginning today and next week, we're going to look at this little book of the Bible in depth as we go into our missions month here in September, as we have visitors come in and share their ministry and their passions and their, the burdens on their heart. Even as our first week on September the 9th will be a new missionary couple who is trying to gain support to go overseas. We want to think what it means to be a church who is hospitable, who is loving, and gracious in the truth of God's word, that as we partner together, we want to think about these things. One pastor said this, what you do to the church, you do to Jesus. And when you fail to serve the church, you fail to serve Jesus. And too many many times we have made missions uh, a smaller priority, elevating the things that make us more content. But this letter of 3 John confronts that mindset head on. And we want to look at that this morning. In 3 John, verses 1 through 8, we want to think about this. How is a church to respond and conduct themselves when we serve others? What does it look like when the church partners together in the truth of the gospel? 3 John beginning in verse 1, tells us this. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. And indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers of the truth. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. I pray, Father God, that you would prepare our hearts and our minds now. Father God, as we hear your word, as we study your word, give us wisdom and understanding of it. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. I pray, Father God, that you would teach us and instruct us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who has made a way that we can know you. Guide us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This little letter of 3 John begins like this. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. This letter begins with the Apostle John writing to his partner in the ministry. John writes to encourage Gaius to continue the ministry that he's doing in his love for the truth. When John writes as an elder, he's coming from this term that signifies that he has experience, that he has uh, he has aged. John is one of the twelve disciples of Jesus Christ, and he has lived his life faithfully and in going into all the world and taking the gospel. If Third John 
is, may, may truly be the last letter of the New Testament. At this point, John is nearing the age of 90. He has some final instructions to give for those he cares about. And in this, he brings with him authority as an elder. This term speaks of age and dignity and office. And it, it gives us a picture of John giving instructions to his children in the faith as a loving father. So John gets very personal right up front. And he says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. This love that John writes about is when he calls people beloved is a term that he says not just once, but three times in this text. You see how his heart and his passion is coming forth. John loves these people. John loves the church. He wants to see it grow. He wants to see it flourish in Jesus Christ, in the advancement of the gospel. Oftentimes we can kind of compare and contrast a little bit the writings of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John. Because Paul often confronted sin, and he did it in a loving way. And John often was, did it in such a loving way, they think, well, he's, he's not serious about it. But that's not true. John came, he's like, I, I am burdened by some of the things that are happening in this church, which we see in beginning in verse 9 next week. But when he starts out, he wants them to understand that I love you. I care about what is happening. I care about your conduct. I care about how you're living your life in front of this church. So he says to Gaius these things. When God's people dwell in unity and in truth, real Christ-like love is evident and demonstrated. This is the same way of thinking when John writes in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. That was John's message all throughout the gospel and throughout his letters. Gaius is a man in the church that John had started early on in his ministry. And John's reason for writing is to remind him of the love that they share in the truth. He wants to remind him that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are united in this. We partner in this. And I see that you are advancing in this. And I want to remind you that although opposition has begun to arise in the church, I don't want you to take it lightly. We have the truth. And these things bring us together. When we think about that, we think the New Testament was completed some 2,000 years ago. And churches today have, uh, it seems in, in many experiences, have a very low view of missions. And yet even 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John already had to confront that mindset. Don't give in to it in such a way that you belittle what God's people are doing around the world. But we have the truth of Jesus Christ, and this brings us together. In this small book, the key word that we have is truth. This truth advocates that Christians are to support Christian causes. So John argues that believers have a duty and a privilege to support the gospel's mission and their work. John writes to encourage Gaius, continue your hospitality in your service for one another. And John meant it. He goes, we have the scriptures. And if we go back to 1 John chapter 1, we, we, taught, we see that John, when he writes to the churches, he cares for them because he says that we, ha that we have tasted, we have seen, we have touched, we have felt with our own hands. 
John is saying, I was there. I was there walking with Jesus Christ for all those years. I, didn't, I was one of those who didn't fully understand that when he said he was going to come and suffer and die and rise again three days later, we expected him to be the Messiah to come and establish the kingdom now. And what he did was something we did not expect. He suffered and died and gave himself for us. And when he rose again from the grave, we saw things totally different. That his mission was to come and bring salvation to all who had not heard, that they may believe. And the apostles followed the command of Jesus Christ and went into all the world. And they did that. And then here in Third John, we see at the end of John's life, most likely, that he's giving some final instructions. I care about you. This is what I have done. This is what I've done with all my life. Some commentators believe that when, when Jesus called James and John the sons of Zebedee, who this is the John is referring to, some commentators think that he was uh, one of the youngest of the 12 disciples, and uh, most likely in the, between the ages of 15 and 18, with Peter maybe being the oldest around the age of 21. And if this letter was John's last written letter around his 90, year 90 for him, he spent a significant amount of time faithfully following Jesus Christ. So when he starts out this letter, it's not just some general greeting, but his love and his passion is being poured out, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. This is the message I want to write for you. We think about us in our own church. We are a very missions-minded church, and I'm very thankful for that. We support many missionaries who are doing wonderful work around the world. And we often hear when these missionaries come back and they share with us, whether on a Sunday morning or an evening or a Wednesday night, they share about the work that God is doing. And we get all excited about what's, what's going on around the world. And, and sometimes uh, they, they share with us about how our prayers have encouraged them and have, we've seen God work through the power of prayer. That's not some cliche statement that we just take flippantly, but rather we as a church are participating in that ministry with them, that we get to see God at work. And as they come back and report to us, they share with us all the exciting things that God is doing. And we rejoice in that. We want to rejoice. And this is what John is going to get at, that as he prays for this church, he wants to rejoice and give thanks to God that the gospel is going forth that people are hearing the message of Jesus Christ because there are those in the church who are faithfully serving day in and day out that the truth may go forth. When we think about it, John writes to an individual. He writes to Gaius, a specific man at a specific time in history, as part of this church. And then John's going to tell him, this is what I want you to continue doing. I have seen it evident in you. Don't bring it to a close. Be diligent in these things. We want to be a church who prays for our missionaries. We want to be a church who prays for others who are going out and going into all the world and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We want to pray for them that they may grow. We want to pray for them that they would desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ because they will get discouraged. It's, it's tough being on the mission field by yourself with maybe just your family. I know many missionaries who go to the field by themselves. They know nobody. Life gets very lonely. 
we get lonely here in America, and we, we, it just kind of irks us, and we have to get out of the house, and we have to go talk to somebody. And we want to share our common faith and the truth of the gospel, that there's somebody who believes what, the way we do and thinks the way we do, and we encourage one another, we build one another up. Do we pray for our missionaries? That when they get discouraged, then when they get lonely, would they be encouraged to continue on the ministry that God has for them? Even as William Carey said in India, when his partner in the ministry left him, he was greatly discouraged, but he said he still had God. As John begins this letter, he begins to pray for Gaius, and he wants to encourage him in these things. He says in verse 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. The Apostle John is wanting to encourage him, Gaius, and these believers to continue to work together in the truth. The truth is what gives us the joy, is what gave John the joy, that he was even able to write to him and say, I am so excited to hear what God is doing among you. I am so excited to share with you my heart and my passion that God is at work, that the ministry is going forth. Do we pray not only for the health of our missionaries, but do we pray for them spiritually, that when they get discouraged? Do we pray for their health physically, that when life gets hard and sickness comes in and their children get sick, do we pray for them? There, there was a gentleman who uh, I knew from my, my days in college, and he was on the staff. He has since left the school and taken his, his wife and his four sons and his daughter, who was born on the mission field, to South America. And they were planting churches. And recently, this past year, they, uh, they ran into some difficulty uh, physically, and they've had to come back to the United States. And they're trying to heal uh, some of the sickness that is going through their children. It is quite severe, and they are greatly discouraged. Those type of things happen all the time. And we need to be reminded that we partner together in the truth. We partner together in such a way for the advancement of the gospel that these are real people really hurting. And we have the opportunity as a church, as a local body of believers, that we don't just sit back and just enjoy the times they come through and share their ministry, but we partner together with them. That we write them notes of encouragement in these things. John's prayer for Gaius is one of love in that he prays for his health and for his soul. He cares so much for him, both physically and spiritually, that it may be good, that you may be in good health and goes well with your soul. He writes in verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He says, brothers, again. He says, I, I heard this good report. I rejoice greatly when the brothers testified about you. John is somewhere far away from where Gaius is, but there's other disciples, there's other followers of Jesus, missionaries, who had been at this church where Gaius was, who had received this good report. They ministered alongside him, and they came back to where John was, and they told John, these are the things that are happening. These are the wonderful things in the truth of the gospel that are taking place along with Gaius and the others back there. And this caused John to rejoice. What caused him to even write the letter to begin with? He says, I heard of your testimony of the truth 
that you have indeed been walking in the truth. I've heard about you. You know, we, we're spoiled in our day and age. We have Facebook. We have email. We have text messaging. I have friends and missionaries overseas, and I can contact them within a few minutes, during the time, depending on the time of the day. Back in the days of the apostles, it took weeks and months sometimes to, to get a word out, to hear a letter of what's happening. To go all that time, I wonder, I hope and pray that they're doing well. I hope and pray that the gospel's going forth. I care about Gaius. And when he finally hears this word, he, ca- he causes him to rejoice. When we, get, when we receive word from, from friends or loved ones whom we have not heard from in a long time, we rejoice. When we get that text message for that tenth time in the day, we don't rejoice very much because we're in constant communication. But this caused John to rejoice in such a way that he's like, I had to share with you my heart. I have to share with you how thankful I am that these things are taking place. He is glad that Gaius' behavior sprang from his faithfulness to the truth. These instructions that John is giving to him show us that they were already taking place in the church. And all he wanted to say is, keep up the good work. Don't stop. This is not an introduction of how to care for missionaries in Third John, but rather an encouragement to continue to care for those whom you've brought in, whom you're providing for, who you're partnering with. Keep, up, keep it up. In verse 3, verse 4, sorry, tells us this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John knows a true joy that many in our churches today seem to lack, I believe. That joy is seeing people grow in the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing others come to know the truth of the gospel. As an elder, John could say, those in the church, those believers, they're his children in the faith. He goes, I have no greater joy than to hear that you are walking in it. I left you alone and you are growing. I left you alone and God is still at work in you. What great joy that brings him. When I hear about a family member who is not doing well in the Lord, I get discouraged. I have nieces and nephews who are not walking with the Lord. And yet I can contact them at any point and try to encourage them. John is far away from Gaius, and he's, when he, so when he receives this word, he rejoices. He goes, it's not up to me. It's not all dependent on me. You're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're following him in obedience. It's not that when I left, everything fell apart. We don't behave that way as Christians, or we shouldn't. Too often we do. We say, well, I can't leave that person alone. They'll, they'll wreck themselves without me. It's putting a very high way of thinking on ourselves. We entrust them to Jesus Christ. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that you are living, that you are walking in the truth, that God's name is going forth. When he talks to these individuals, he is referring to them as children because he loves them in the Lord. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, with a very similar mindset. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish as of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. He paints this picture saying, the pains of childbirth, the agony that goes into that. As an illustration, I want to show you that I care about you so much that I want Christ to be evident in your life. And this is the same heart and the same mindset of the Apostle John. I have no greater joy than to see that my, 
my children are walking in the truth. There's a story. Uh, I was thankful to grow up in a home where my parents valued uh, missionaries quite a bit. We had them in our house a lot. And there was one missionary we had in our house that told uh, a sad story, actually. Um, he had lost, he, he was a church planter in Brazil, and he had lost some uh, supporters over time. Uh, churches were just not interested in, in supporting them. And he wanted to stay on the field, and it became harder. Where most, in, in most cases like this, where some missionaries would move, move back to the States and try to raise support, he decided, I have, my family's too big, my children are too young, um, I can't, we can't leave right now. So he had to go get a job in Brazil. And the job he wound up getting was a job on an oil rig out in the Pacific Ocean. And because he had to be on this oil rig, he'd be gone for a month at a time. So he'd, he'd work a month, he'd come back and minister for a month. He'd work a month. So over the course of a year, he's only, he's only ministering six months. And six months he has to work. And this was happening because some churches had stopped supporting them. And this report came back to some other churches in the United States. And they said, wow, well, he's working six months out of the year. He's making some good money. Maybe we should lower his support. So they did. It's a sad story because this missionary then continued to struggle again and again because the mindset of the church in the States was not that big on missions, but on top of that, they, they didn't see the value of what he was doing. And what's going to happen as Third John unfolds is that that is exactly a situation almost that is taking place. John is going to have to confront somebody that says, you do not care for these people as you should. You do not care about partnering with them in the truth of the gospel because you're so concerned with your own preferences rather than the message of Jesus Christ. The church is the body of Christ. We are called to work together, to serve alongside one another. Do we live with a good testimony? Is the truth that is among us, is it demonstrated to a watching world? Is it demonstrated in such a way that people, when the people look at us, they know that we care and love other people, that we care and love about those we minister alongside with who are advancing the gospel. When our missionaries come, much like they did in John's day, from verse 3, if I rejoice this good testimony, are we a church that when our missionaries come back, they look forward to being with us and taking a good report back home? What is our reputation when our missionaries return to the field and share how about they were just in the United States? They went to one of their supporting churches, and it was a great time. It was an encouraging time. It was an uplifting time. They prayed for us physically and spiritually. I hope they don't go back and say, man, that was a rough time. That was a rough visit. I hope that's not the case. I don't think that is the case. But for many churches, it is. And this is why the message that John is writing is so important. Our view of missions is decreasing, I believe. And that's why even as we go here to the month of September, our missions month, we have an opportunity, although we won't see very many of our missionaries because they're faithfully serving on the field, we have some coming in and sharing. And in the midst of that, we have this missions mindset to pray for them, to care for them, to write them letters of encouragement, to see what the Lord is doing and get our mind focused on that we're not in this alone. It's not just... Portage Bible Church out here 
and saying, we have the truth and no one else does, we're reminded that God is working all over the world. And we get to partner in that through prayer, through encouragement, through loving and asking questions and encouraging because we are walking in the truth. As John is writing these things, his heart is being poured out. He goes, I care about you. I care about the work that God is doing among you. And I rejoice that these things are indeed happening. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And he has some other words of encouragement. He tells us in verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for the brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way, on a journey many, and in a journey in a manner worthy of God. The Apostle John wants these believers to know how important their work is with others. Serving with others shows the church that we have the same mind living in the same truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing. John reminds them and us in the process that God's work is to be done in faithfulness, not just out of some duty or drudgery, but out of a delight. And this delight requires some effort. It's not always easy to keep in contact with those who are serving elsewhere, but to reach out and partner together with them. How often we might go a day or a week, and we just need somebody to encourage us. And we come back to church the next Sunday, and we get encouraged, hopefully, by one another. Well, what about our missionaries who are not receiving that encouragement all the time? If they have a firmly established ministry, they have a church they're part of, and they're being encouraged. But what about those who are still beginning? They need a word of encouragement. We are to stand side by side and watch and pray and see how we can serve those in need. We serve as they serve, and we find ways to serve them. As John has pointed out time and time again, beloved, I care about you. I care about what God is doing with you. Even there, five different times in our text, we read, in the truth, in the truth, in the truth, that these things are happening. This testimony that I am hearing amongst yourselves is good. And those whom he served also gave a good report. This church where Gaius is, is made up of people who love the church and who love serving the church. And they are known for sending people out from the church. Because of this, John writes and tells Gaius, and he shows him brotherly love and affection in a very practical and hospitable way. In other words, you can say, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep up the good work. This is, is the idea that John is wanting to convey. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your service. Beloved, it is a very faithful thing that you can stand before God and say, well done, good and faithful servant. More churches, more Christians specifically, need to be reminded of walking in faithfulness to the Lord in their own local body, in their love and their service with one another, that we have the truth that unites us together, but also in reminding that we have others who we care for. We're sharing in the midst of some very difficult situations around the world, 
for the advancement of the gospel. And then we get to rejoice when they come back and share with us, this is what God is doing. Too many times we sit comfortably by and say, that's good. I'm glad they're sharing that. I'm glad they came back and told us. I'm glad things are going well. Keep up the good work. But rather we should rejoice in such a way because we see that God is doing a work beyond all that we could even ask or imagine. We're reminded that God is good in all his works. The Bible tells us the kind of missionaries we should be supporting. They need to be biblically minded and faithful, and they proclaim the gospel wherever they go. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23 tells us this. Paul writes, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as, and as far as our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Paul sent Titus out. He said, he's my partner in the gospel. And I rejoice in what God is doing and how it benefits the workers. We get, we get too inclusive sometimes in, in the sense that we think, well, I'm comfortable, I'm good. As long as God doesn't call me to share my faith or anything, everything will be all right because nothing will be awkward. And I won't be rejected. And the apostles show us time and time again how they went out. Because they saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ and they couldn't help but be changed and share with a watching world in need of the message of salvation. The apostle Paul knew it. The apostle John knew it. And he says, brothers, it is a faithful thing. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you are doing. Don't stop. Verse 6 tells us, Who testified to your love before the church, you do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. These, these missionaries who came from Gaius' church back to the Apostle John said, It is a faithful thing. It is a good word. This testimony is sure that you love the church, that you love the body of Christ so much so that you care about sending these people out in a manner worthy of God, that you care about what they're doing. John tells us of the character of these missionaries, the good report that was going back and forth. As a result, their reputation was known. And this is to be a mark of all followers of Jesus Christ. Our reputation is to be known as such that we care and love one another, that we care and love those who have never heard and the church in America today is getting a really bad reputation because we're too inclusive. We're too concerned with our own agenda, with our own ideas, with our own mindset. Missionaries time and time again are struggling to get on the field. I received several missionary letters from guys my age who were in college with me said, the Lord has called me and want to go to the mission field. And they've been raising support and raising support and raising support and raising support. For one individual, six years raising support. And he wrote a letter recently and said, we have to resign from the ministry. No one will support us. We can't get there. And those type of stories are happening time and time again. So when John writes and testifies, your manner, your conduct, it is well known keep up the good work. Send them out in a manner worthy of God. Our character matters. Our conduct matters as a local church. Even in our own community, Portage, do people know us 
in such a way that we may speak we speak the truth, we love others in need, or are we too inclusive, concerned with ourselves? As John has written, it says they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The Gentiles in this passage is referring to those who are unbelievers. And the, what John is telling us is that these missionaries went out for the sake of the name, the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus was their message. It wasn't going out to proclaim themselves or their own ideas. It was to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and make disciples. And so much so, they were dependent on the church to support them. They didn't go to the, to the world to receive help. They didn't go to those who did not know Christ to say, hey, help us share with others. And John commends them for saying, you sent them out. You supported them. You cared for them in such a way that this was able to be done in a way that honored the Lord Jesus Christ. So John is telling them all these things. You went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Your character, your conduct is above reproach. The message is going forth even so much that I hear about you all the way back here, which I believe is in the the city of Ephesus, where John was at the end of his life. And he tells them this good report, your conduct as a body of Christ, as a church, is well known. And the message is going forth. So he writes to them, verse 8, Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. He tells them, therefore, we're reminded in the text, what's the therefore, therefore? It's because everything John has said up to this point, the argument he's making, now he's getting practical. He says, therefore, in summarization of everything I have just said to you, as a result, you as a church, as a local body of believers, you are to support people like these, people who are faithful, people who are biblical, people who are wanting to go out for the truth of the gospel into a world who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Support people like these. Encourage them. Build them up. Help them to send them in a manner worthy of God. In a manner worthy of God. In such a way that we say that God is worth it. He is worthy of worship. That we want the watching, a watching world to know him. And the manner of our conduct, it could be either selfish, very self-centered, or it could be in a manner that says, what do you need? How can I serve you to the best of my ability so that you may go out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ? When God's people work together, not just in the local body of believers, but with those who have the same mind and same conduct of the truth of the gospel, the Great Commission goes forth and is fulfilled around the world. And the church grows in love for one another, for those they support. In the truth of God's word and in our understanding, we grow and we love one another so that we could be like the Apostle John and say, brothers, beloved, we want to care, we want to demonstrate this love. Pastor Andy Johnson says this about serving missionaries. We need to be extravagant in our service. We are told to partner with those who have gone out for the sake of Christ's name and support them worthy of God, to be ready for care, to care for these workers extravagantly, to even go above and beyond what may be reasonable, to be ready in a manner that is worthy of God himself, that we will show not only how much we value them as individuals, but that we extremely value 
the great work of the gospel that they are doing and that they are carrying out. Turn with me to the book of Acts, briefly. Keep your finger here in 1 John. The book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts, chapter 13, is a reminder of the work God was doing in the early church through the Holy Spirit. Really, the first missionary call. In Acts, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Now these were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The missionary call of Paul and Barnabas after Saul's conversion, and to go into all the world and start all these churches all around Asia Minor. And he was obedient to that call. As God is raising up his church, as God is maturing the body of Christ, the believers within the church, God is teaching us and instructing us through his word that we may grow and we may minister in the name of Jesus in a manner worthy of him. But what God does through his church time and time again, as he does here in Acts chapter 13 from the very get-go, is he calls people to leave their current church and to go start others. He calls people to go into all the world and serve them else, to serve others elsewhere that the name of Christ may be heard. And it seems, maybe this seems true to you, it seems true to me, that I'm finding more and more churches who are sending out less and less people. Their mindset is not set on Christ. The mindset is not set on the advancement of the gospel to go out in the name of Jesus. As long as we're comfortable, as long as everything's good where we're at, no worries. And John rebukes that mindset. It is a good thing you're doing for the advancement of the gospel. Keep it up. Be extravagant in how you serve others. Are the missionaries we support cared for? Not just by us as a church, not just by the missions committee because that's their job, but by us as a whole body, as individuals reaching out to those in need to pray for them, to house them, to feed them, to clothe them, whether when they're here or while they're overseas. Serving with others in the truth is not a duty, but it is a delight. And the Apostle John rejoiced in that. He says, I rejoice that my children are walking in the truth. How sad is it when we hear of a church who doesn't walk in the truth, a church who closes its doors, a church that a faithful body of believers that one day seemed so excited for the gospel, and now they're just very complacent. We want to rejoice like the Apostle John and say, keep it up. As we invite our missionaries in, as we think about them, as we pray for them? Are we partnering with them in such a way that we show that we care, that we're sending them in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we think, oh, that's good. I'm happy for them. It's good to hear, it's good to get a letter. I'll try to pray for them when I remember them. But rather, to rejoice as the Apostle John rejoiced. Returning to the story of William Carey, 
he was discouraged, he was alone. And the story unfolds that he even lost some of his children while on the field to sickness. But here's the thing. Kerry continued to do great things for the Lord. Over the next 28 years, he and his followers translated the entire Bible into India's major languages. Not only Bengali, but Marathi, Hindi, Azamese, Sanskrit, and parts of 209 other languages and dialects. He also sought social reform in India, including the abolition of infesticide, the burning of widows, and assisted suicide. He and his followers also started a college to train other men to be ministers, which still today offers theological education. By the time Kerry died, he had spent 41 years in India without a furlough. His mission could be counted, could only count some 700 converts in a nation of millions, but he had laid an impressive foundation of Bible translation and education for many years to come. His great legacy was in the worldwide missionary movement of the 19th century, which inspired such missionaries like Idoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, and David Livingston. Among thousands of others, were impressed not only by Carey's example, but by his words, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, who went out faithfully. And the Apostle John writes, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness, for the message of your Son, Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us, who was was seated at your right hand, preparing a place for us and interceding for us so that we can know him. Father God, you were doing a work in your church that we can't even begin to understand because it is so great. Father God, help us not to sit idly by and take it for granted. Father God, but be encouraged by the work you're doing. Help us to be a church who loves one another, who walks in the truth. Help us to be a church that loves our missionaries and to love hearing about what they're doing. It breaks our heart when they have to leave the field. It grieves us when they lose support because we know and we care so much about people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father God, that you would remind us of these things here over this next month that we set aside to pray for one another, to pray for our missionaries. Give us a mindset of love and encouragement. Help us to find ways to reach out to them and to love on them and encourage them. Father God, that they would be reminded that they're not alone, but there are people who love them and are praying for them. I pray, Father God, that you would do that work in us as well, that as we are reminded that they pray for us, that we would be faithful stewards of you, faithful proclaimers of your word in our own town, our own community. Instruct us, Father God, in these things. Teach us and remind us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.